Colossians chapter 4 is where we are. And uh, we've been in the book of Colossians now for several weeks, and this will probably be our last week in, um, in Paul's letter uh, to the church in Colossae. And my Bible is over there in my bag. Stephen, do you mind grabbing that for me? Thank you, sir. Good man. All right, so the book of Colossians... We're in chapter 4 together. I know you just settled into your seats, but would you stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read from Colossians chapter 4. Just going to read verses 2 through 6. Paul writes and he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Pray that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be uh, be gracious Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Lord, would you be our teacher today? Holy Spirit, we need you to teach us, to guide us in some very practical things about how to um, live every day with gospel impact. So we ask you, Lord, that you honor this time by um, exposing to us the truth of the word and help us, Lord, to Apply this truth to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So we have been in the book of Colossians. And what we've seen, um, especially in chapter 3, is that um, coming to faith in Christ changes a person. It changes you when you come to faith in Jesus. Would anybody say amen to that? Yeah. It changes, it transforms your life. When I say it, what I mean is Jesus transforms your life. There is no way that you come to Christ and walk away the same. There is no way that happens. Um, this past Wednesday night, our youth went to a youth event, uh, United. There's a lot of different churches in the area that do these events together. Well, um, me and a few of our, our worship team and a few others, we, we led worship for this youth event. And we finished our, our songs and we went and sat down. And, and there was a long, really awkward pause. And the guy who was preaching was, wasn't even in the room. And everybody in the crowd is just kind of waiting on this guy to come in. And uh, he finally comes in. And he actually runs from the back of the room up to the, up to the stage. And he's like, I'm sorry I was late. Um, you know, while we were singing, I realized I left something out in the car. I had to go across the street. And on my way back across the street, I got hit by an 18-wheeler. And he made that statement. People laughed. And he was like, what do you mean? You don't believe me? And he was basically making the point that uh, if he'd been hit by an 18-wheeler, he wouldn't look the way he looks. He wouldn't be talking. He probably wouldn't be alive. Right? He was making a point. And the point he was making was this. When you've been hit by the gospel... It radically transforms you. You will not walk away the same. That's the point of Colossians 3. 
Um, Paul writes, he says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. He, he says, put to death all the old stuff in your life and put on Christ. Put on the new life of Jesus Christ. So take off the old and put on the new. What he's saying is, let the gospel have its work in transforming who you are. And that's not just super spiritual stuff. In fact, he says, here's the thing. This impacts how you act as a wife. It impacts how you act as a husband. Look in verse 18, 19, 20, 21. It says in Colossians 3, wives, submit to your husbands. Husband, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. This is how the gospel impacts Husbands, how we love our wives. Um, children, obey your parents. I'm praying for gospel impact with my children. You probably are too. So it impacts family life. It impacts all of our relationships. Then he deals with bosses and employees and all kinds of things. Here's the thing. The, the impact of the gospel changes every aspect of your life. We don't just have a, a God who cares about our Sundays. He wants every day and every moment of every day. And the impact of your life, of the gospel in your life, needs to transform you from the inside out in every aspect. There should be no part of your life that is left untouchable, that's untouched by the gospel. No part is off limits to Jesus. Let Him have it. Let Him change it. So as we get to chapter 4, Paul is um, taking his exhortation really from, um, from how the gospel impacts the individual to now how the gospel impacts individuals as we gather, as, as a people, as a, as a church body. What, what do we do as a church? And so um, this is more of a collective exhortation. And I want to give us basically three, three things that, that Paul says, three ways to make gospel impact every day in your life. And these are very practical things. Um, not super spiritual, very practical stuff. And yet with, with deep spiritual implications. So three ways to make gospel impact every day. From uh, Colossians chapter 4. If you got one of the teaching guides, this is where we'll begin. Number one, the first way is pray. Paul says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So I want to break down. He, he gives us four descriptors really of how we should pray. The command is to pray. Continue in prayer. Pray. And then he gives four really uh, commands. He says, Continue steadfastly, watchful, and thankful. Those four things, and, and I, I broke them down with four different words. Constant, that's the word continual. I just wanted to give us a, a little bit of clarity on what that means. Constant, we'll talk more about that in a minute. And then um, steadfastly, I chose the word courageous. So when we pray, it should be courageous kind of prayer. You go, how do you pray courageously? Well, you pray as though you're actually in a fight. I don't know if you know this or not, but prayer is made for war. That's the design of prayer. It's like a, um, uh, one, one famous theologian says it's a wartime walkie-talkie. 
don't know if you get that, but we are soldiers in the foxhole, in a battle, and this is our, our prayers are going, uh, we're going to need some help uh, down here. We're, we're trying to make an advance, and we just we can't get through. We need some air support. <laughs> That's prayer. It's your wartime walkie-talkie. And so steadfastly is actually a wartime, courageous kind of bold kind of terminology. When we pray, we should pray as though we actually believe we're at war because we are. Thirdly, alert. He says, be watchful. It reminds me of when, when Jesus um, told his disciples right before he's arrested in the garden, he says, uh, watch and pray. Do you remember those, that um, little short command? Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, hey, um, watch and pray. That's unique, isn't it? Watch and pray. What are we watching for? So in prayer, we're to be alert. We're to have eyes. Eyes. I mean, you know, all the time I think we, we pray and we... Um, do you ever think it's weird to pray with your eyes open? I, I don't anymore. I used to. You know, I grew up, everybody would always say, bow your heads and close your eyes. And I think that's just so that we focus and don't get so easily distracted. And yet Jesus says to watch and pray. And so I would just say to us that you don't have to close your eyes. In fact, it's okay if your eyes are open and you're watching, it's almost like you're anticipating the Lord to do what you say right then. Does that make sense? You're alert to what's going on around you. You're seeing. It's not just that you're asking Him to do it and expecting Him. It's also that you're aware of what you need to ask for. You're looking around with spiritual eyes to see the need so that you say, Oh, Lord, we really need, this needs to happen. Alert. And then lastly, um, thankful. We, we, we spent a good bit of time last week on gratitude. And what we said uh, last week, one of the main themes of the message last week was this, that the blessings of God will either um, fuel your praise or feed your pride. You will either look at the way that God has blessed you and you'll, you'll be thankful. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Or you'll be entitled. Ah, oh, I deserve this. And the admonition from Scripture is constantly to be thankful. It puts us in a posture as receivers, as recipients of God's goodness. And that's the way we've always got to be. We, we always are recipients of the grace of God. And He calls us to pray with thankful hearts. So those four things could be constant, courageous, alert, and thankful. Let me talk to us about constant for a minute. The Scriptures say in 1 Thessalonians to pray continually. It actually says pray without ceasing. Y'all say that. Three words. Ready? Pray without ceasing. How do we do that? How do you do that? Do you walk around just muttering prayers all the time? People think you're crazy because you talk to yourself. Do you crawl around on your knees during the day? How do you pray without ceasing? And I want to give us a couple of pointers that I think are really helpful. When I think about guys who prayed in this way in Scripture, one that comes to mind for me is Nehemiah. So I'd like for you to take your Bible and go with me to Nehemiah in the Old Testament.
right there between Ezra and Esther. So, Nehemiah chapter 1. I want you to see the way Nehemiah prays. So, just a little backstory. Nehemiah has gotten word that um, Jerusalem, his hometown, has, has, is in shambles. And the, the walls of the city are torn down. The, the place is on fire. It's just, and it grieves his heart to think about his home. <clears throat> Not just his home, but the city of God, the city of David, to be destroyed in the way that it was, breaks his heart. And so, verse 4, Nehemiah chapter 1. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and went and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And you can read his prayer, but I just want you to get that I continued fasting and praying for days. I wept and mourned. And so you've got this, this um, fervent prayer. Right? James chapter 5 says, The fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent praying. That's what fervent praying looks like. It's, it's prioritizing your life in such a way that you put away food, you, you put away celebrations, you put away all of that stuff. You just park and you get alone with God and you just beg and you cry out to God, God, would you please do this? It's fervent kind of praying. Not no church if you've ever prayed that way, but if you haven't, you need to. We've got to be a people who pray from our burden with fervent kind of prayer. This is what we see here when we pray constantly. One aspect of that is fervent prayers. But I want you to look down to chapter 2. So Nehemiah prays that God would somehow rebuild the walls of his city. God, would you please restore what's been torn down? God, please. And he begs and begs and begs. Nehemiah happens to be the cupbearer for the king. And in chapter 2, he's very sad, but he's still doing his job. And in chapter 2, look at verse 2. The king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. Why was he, he was afraid? Because you, you're not supposed to have that kind of countenance in front of the king. The king's servants are to be uplifting and encouraging and happy like all the time. But Nehemiah was sad and he was afraid for his life. So I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Pause. This is a huge moment for Nehemiah. He has prayed fervently and pleaded with God to do something about this burden in his heart that this city, the city of God is in shambles. He's prayed fervently for God to do something. And then he stands before the king and the king says, what are you wanting? Look at what Nehemiah does. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And what does Nehemiah do? So I prayed to the God of heaven. 
Here's the thing. Nehemiah has prayed fervent prayers. And then in moments like these where you feel like this is a moment. We've got to be constant in prayer. Meaning we we pray flash prayers. I can imagine Nehemiah just went, oh God, here's my moment. Tell me what to say. Uh, Here's what I want, King. Pray to God and say to men. That's the pattern we see with Nehemiah's fervent praying and flash prayer. Pray to God and then say to men. So he's constant, courageous, alert, thankful, fervent prayer, flash prayers. Go back to Colossians chapter 4. I want us to see what specifically Paul wants us to pray for. So as a church, I want you to take note, he's writing to the church at Colossae. That's the letter Colossians. He's writing to the church. He has talked specifically about how the gospel will impact you personally. But now he's talking about how the gospel impacts us as a church. What does it look like? And he says to us all, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, Pray also for us. You all, please pray for us. There's this partnership of prayer. Paul is saying, please pray for us. Um, And he prays, he says to pray for two things. Pray for that God would open a door. Pray for open doors for the word. And the boldness to declare the mystery of Christ. We pray for open doors for the word and the boldness to preach the gospel. Um, This morning I was FaceTiming with one of our elders. If you're a guest here, we we have an elder-led congregation. And one of our elders is actually stationed stationed right now working in Afghanistan. And we were FaceTiming. We try to do that a couple times a week. And... He usually tries to catch me on Sundays and, and Russ, he'll, he'll call and he'll just, hey man, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And uh, I've been praying for him um, regularly and, and over FaceTime. We'll pray with one another. And um, uh, This morning he said, hey man, um, the Lord's answering your prayers because this week God opened a door for me. And I said, why did you choose that word? And he's like, I don't know, I just feel like that's what God's doing. He's opening a door for me to, to sort of share the truth. And I said, that's interesting you chose that word because that's our text today. He said, what's the scripture? I told him the scripture and he read it. He was like, that's powerful, man. That's what God is doing right now um, among his co-workers. He, he had a conversation this week and um, I probably shouldn't share all this, but I'll just say um, God opened a door And Russ was faithful to step through it with the gospel. And I tell you that to say that's an answer to prayer. And I've been praying for him. And I'm sure some of you as well are praying for him. And this is the way we ought to partner with one another in the gospel. We have have missionaries that this church supports and sponsors. And we send. We have people in Lebanon and people in Haiti that we're collecting boxes for. We have... Um, a missionary to our local jail that, that we support and, and I get to go and work with him regularly as well and we need to be praying 
for our people that we send, that we are sponsoring, that we are supporting as missionaries, praying that God would open doors for the gospel and that they would walk through them. Do you see the two things there, right? We need, we need God to open doors and then we need people to be bold enough to go through them. What good is an open door if nobody goes through it? So we need open doors for the gospel and people bold enough to walk through them. I love that Paul in prison is not praying for an opened cell. He's praying for open doors. And what he's talking about is opportunities to present Christ. He says, I'm in these chains and God keeps bringing people to me to share the gospel with. I keep getting chained up to soldiers. I win one to Jesus and he goes and preaches the gospel. Then they bring another one and chain him to me and he comes to faith in Christ. Paul's like, I don't don't have to have a pulpit. I've got a prison. And God's opening doors right here. That's the way we need to think. So three ways for gospel impact every day. Pray. And he says, continue steadfastly, watchful, and thankful. Second thing, live. Very simple. The second exhortation we see from this passage is in verse 5. Walk in wisdom. Paul's talking about your life, everyday life. How you live matters. How many of you know that? How you live matters. Do you know that your words won't, won't stand for a minute if your walk doesn't support your talk? Right? Y'all with me on that? Um, your life can either support or distort the gospel message. So the scriptures tell us to walk in wisdom. What does that mean? I just want to be very simple here. First um, Thessalonians 4 um, paints a very practical picture. Basically, the apostle writes, he says, hey, just mind your business. Work hard. Don't be needy. Don't be a nuisance. Live at peace with those around you. Live above reproach. Titus chapter 2 says, live in such a way as to adorn the gospel. Like, don't bring reproach on the gospel, but adorn the gospel with your lifestyle. Like, show people that the gospel has the power to transform your life by how you live. That's what it means to walk in wisdom. Jesus would say this, um, let your light so shine that people would see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. So these are practical things. But what is the goal of walking wisely? Is it just so people look at you and go, that guy, man, he walks in wisdom. And I would suggest you know it's deeper than that. We're in foxholes because we're on a mission. And it's not just to look like good soldiers. It's actually to win a war. And the war, the conquest, the battle that we're fighting is for the souls of men and women. It's for the, for the lives of people, the eternal life of people. Our goal in walking wisely is the glory of God, the worship of God through the salvation of people. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Um, 
stumbled onto this verse and I've just held on to it. But here's what it says. I want to read it to you. Proverbs 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And whoever captures souls is wise. Whoever captures souls is wise. The idea of soul winning, that terminology is kind of antiquated. I don't usually use that terminology, but that is what, as believers, as Christians, we are people who are trying to win people to Christ. Make no mistake, to be a Christian is to be an evangelist. If you are a Christian in the room, You are called by God, every one of us, called by God to be an evangelist. Now, you may not have that, quote, calling on your life, and that's a different conversation, a different sermon. But you have been given the mandate from Jesus himself to go and make disciples of all nations. Every Christian is an evangelist, every one of us. And we're to walk wise. The scriptures tell us what that means is to capture the souls of men for the cause of the gospel. Paul says, walk in wisdom. And then he says this phrase, redeeming the time. Or the ESV says, uh, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. The actual wording there is, is to buy, to purchase, redeem, to purchase back the time. Now, in the Greek, there's a couple of different words for time. One is chronos, which is where we get our word chronology. It's like time in orders. You know, we have a chronological watch. That's, that's that kind of time. This word is the word kairos, which is not chronology. It's opportunity. Redeem the opportunity. Make the most of the moment. Last Sunday... Um, we were here and we baptized. It was amazing. Beautiful baptism. Um, five people shared their testimonies of following Christ and how God had rescued their lives and, and um, uh, had a powerful day in worship and loved it. Super strong. After church, everybody's gone. Some of our men are here draining the tank and we're just talking. And, um, one of the guys who's baptized brought a friend to see him be baptized. And they come down front here. We're just talking. And this young man says to me, he says, hey, uh, I think, um, I, think I, I, need, I think I need Jesus. And the conversation went for a bit. And there was a moment in the conversation. I don't know if you've been here. There's a moment in the conversation where I had a choice to make. I could in that moment go, hey, man. That's great. I'll be praying for you. Pat, pat, pat. We'll be praying for you. And walk away from the opportunity. Or we could do what we did. And just, hey, and let's just sit down and talk a minute. We just took a chair. We sat and talked. It took about 15 minutes of talking through the gospel with this young man. And I said, what's God doing in your heart? And he says, I need to be saved. 
So last Sunday, after baptizing four the five people, we sat right here and a young man gave his life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Make the most of every opportunity. And you know as well as I do that you've been in moments where you've thought, Lord, what do I do right now? What do I say? Do I, do I cross the line? Do I take the risk? Do I say what's, what's in me to say? Or do I stop right here, pat him on the shoulder, and go on? And the apostle is saying to us, pray that God would open doors and that we'd step across the line. And here he says to us, be wise, redeem every opportunity. Make the most of every moment. Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 has been a a verse that's just been on my heart for weeks. A couple of weeks ago in our life group, we we just bounced this verse around a little bit. Here's what it says. Uh, I've since memorized it, but it says, So teach us to number our days. That we may get a heart of wisdom. So teach us to number our days. That we may get a heart of wisdom. Um, I got to think about this. This is so silly. But um, I asked my wife yesterday. I was like, how old am I? And she was like, how old are you? So anyway, she told me, you know, you're 38 years old. I was like, no, I mean like how many days? How many days old am I? It takes some math. I don't know if you ever tried to figure out how many days old you are, but you've got to think about leap years. You've got to think about all kinds of crazy stuff. But we managed to figure it out. I am 13,936 days old today. Isn't that wild? 13,936 days old today. Here's the shocking reality. Listen, in Psalm chapter 90, we read it earlier. It says that the years of a man are 70 or if he shows signs of strength, maybe 80. And we know that's still true, right? People still live somewhere between 70, 80. I mean, if you get some that are really stretchy and that's amazing, right? But 70, 80 years. You know, if you live 80 years old, you know how many days you'll live? Less than 30,000 days. Less than 29,000 and some odd days. Less than 30,000 days you have if you live 80. Let me tell you again how old I am today. 13,936 days old. I'm halfway, if I live to 80, I'm halfway there. That's a sobering reality to me. I don't know if it sobers you up any, but in my mind, here's what it tells me. What if I accomplished in half? If God gives me all that might be mine in this life, if I'm going to live that long, what have I accomplished for His kingdom? Have I accomplished half of all that I want to do? Absolutely not. I'm nowhere close. So in our life group, we did this little exercise. I want to encourage you to do it. What would you do if you had 10 days left in your life? We took a, a little, I took out my phone and we just made notes like, well, what would you do? And we started prioritizing what we would do. You know what? We really got down to what matters in life. 
I think sometimes we think that we're going to have more time. We're going to have more time. This is going to be more time. And the Lord says, I want you to make the most of this moment. Here's an open door opportunity. Go. May not ever have it again. Live. Pray. Live. And lastly, speak. The apostle says, making the best use of the time, let your speech always be gracious Seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So just quickly here. The way you talk matters. Um, Have you ever seen a really beautiful person? I mean like a really super handsome guy or a beautiful woman. and, And then the kind of filth that comes out of their mouth. And all of a sudden... The ugliness of their words sort of takes over what you originally saw. You you know what I'm talking about? The way you talk matters. What we say in life matters. It's amazing how ugly words can actually be. So our speech, the apostle says, it should always be gracious and it should always be salty. So we're going to talk about that. Gracious and salty. Um... Gracious, I want to talk about it in two ways. Fruit and root. So the root is that you are the recipient of the grace of God. You don't deserve any good thing. Every good thing is from the Father. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. You don't deserve it. It's a gift from the Father. It's His grace to you and you're rooted in that. You know what that does to you? It makes you humble. It makes you kind. It makes you um, non-judgmental. You don't look at people and judge them because you don't think of yourself better because you're just a recipient of grace. Roots. That's who you are. Then the fruit of that grace in your life, the fruit is that you, um, your words will be attractive. They'll be, um, uh, they'll be kind and loving because that's the fruit of the gospel in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You'll, you'll speak that way. It'll come out of you. All right, so that's what it means to let your speech be gracious. What does salty mean? Um, there's probably a lot of explanations for this, but let me just say it this way. Flavorful, not bland, not boring. Here's what I want to say. When you talk about Jesus, are you bored as you talk about him? Because if you are, the people you're talking to, that's not salty speech. When you talk about the gospel, your eyes should light up. Your heart should light up. We're not selling something. We are savoring someone. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. The only way I could say that to you, Judson, the only way I could tell you, man, taste and see that this steak is delicious. How do I know? How can I know? I have tasted, right? The only way I can say that, this is the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. That's the way we should talk about the gospel. This is the best thing that's ever happened in my life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's salty speech. It's flavorful. It's not bland. It's not boring. We, we are a people who are so satisfied in Christ that it's contagious. People want what we have because we have all we need. The apostle writes at the end here, he says, let your speech always be gracious. That's convicting to me. But I connect the word always and then the words so that. Here's what I would say here is that consistency is the key. Your speech is always gracious and always salty. That consistency is the key so that you'll know how to answer. You'll be wise and winsome when you talk about the gospel because he is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because that's who He is in you. So people know if you're selling them something or if you're satisfied with someone. So three quick takeaways for today. What, what do I want you to walk away with this morning? Here's three big things. You ready? One, I want you, I want us, church, to be a praying people. Good things happen and we have um, the quickness to say, thank you, Jesus. Bad things happen and we have the, the sovereignty understanding that God is still in control in the midst of this tragedy or whatever it may be. God is still in control. And so, but now we come to Him and we plead with Him. We praise Him for good things. We plead with Him over the things that need change. Pray. We've got to be a praying people. Church, um, we just set up this little station over here and it's still kind of coming together, Right? This is meant to be a prayer station, a place for you to come and kneel, a place for you to weep and mourn and, and beg God to do great things, a place for you to spend just time with Jesus. You can do that during the week if you like. You can do that on Sundays at any point. You could do it right now and I would celebrate. At any point in our gathering, you want to come pray with your father, you come pray. That's what this is here for. We want to put that out here all the time because we want to prioritize prayer. Secondly, I want us as a people to show and tell the love of Christ in, in our everyday rhythms of life. You know, we don't have some kind of a, an evangelism program where we, we gather here and then we go out and knock on people's doors and, and, and try to you know, convince them with a, with a sales pitch of the gospel. I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I'm just saying the Lord says, as you go, make disciples. So in your everyday life, are you a faithful witness for Jesus? When the doors of opportunity open to you, do you cross the line? Do you say what needs to be said for that person to trust Christ? I want us to show and tell the love of Christ in our everyday rhythms. And then last, to live 
in the loving bond of the community of the local church. So that, that our lives are intertwined with each other. Jesus said in John 13 that people will know you're my disciples. The world will know by how you love one another. And so one of the things that we have as a priority is, is life group, is people grouping together in homes to disciple each other. Uh, meeting in each other's homes, meeting here, uh, getting to know one another. Um, we, we really do believe that real discipleship happens in real relationship. We want to know each other. I've been here almost a year and there's still a good many of you that I feel like I don't quite know. Like I'm that friend that could come hang out in the front yard but not come in the house. And I want to like break through that barrier. I want us all to break through those barriers with each other. Um, you know, I, I've got those kind of friends that don't even knock. You know, they just walk in. And that's okay most of the time. <laughs> um, but those type of relationships, that's where the gospel will just blossom. That's where God will bless. Church, God's calling us to be a people who pray gospel prayers who live with gospel focus and who speak with grace and salt gospel truth let's commit to be that kind of people for the glory of our king